welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right. Well, this morning we're going to be, as I mentioned, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> uh, so again, just want to say good morning to all you guys uh, scattered all over the Inland Empire. I know some of you are in Corona, Norco, uh, even in uh, Riverside, and even as far as Paris. So we welcome you guys this morning. Um, I'm sure if the Apostle Peter had this form of communication uh, in the first century, uh, he would have dressed the individual churches, as we'll see in 1 Peter, in a very similar way. Those churches were scattered in the region of modern-day Turkey. And he wrote a letter to them that was meant to be passed around and copied and read to the different churches in the region. And the reason Peter was writing that letter to the churches was, cut, was because they were suffering at the time. They were living in a hostile environment. Uh, it wasn't full-scale uh, governmental persecution, but they were living uh, in a time where they were pretty much suffering from social uh, um, ostracism. The society that they lived in was not comfortable with them. Uh, they were suffering... Uh, being uh, pushed away by people in the government sometimes. Sometimes people in their own uh, places of employment didn't want to be around them. And even in their own families, uh, they were literally suffering a serious form of social distancing. They were like outcast in this region. And again, nobody wanted to hang out with them. And so the believers at this time needed to be encouraged. Uh, they needed direction on how to cope Positivity, positively in this hostile environment? How were they supposed to live triumphantly when they were looked at and ostracized and pushed away by people that they knew and people that they loved? How were they supposed to live triumphantly uh, without abandoning their hope, without becoming bitter or losing their faith? And they just wanted to know what was going on. Is everything going to be Okay. And where's God in all this? And is God going to protect them? And I think today we're asking similar questions and seeking similar answers. So how does Peter answer these questions? Well, Peter's going to remind the church to keep their focus on God. He's going to remind them to remember what God has done for them, what God has promised them in the future, and what God is doing in, the, in this very instant. Basically, he's going to remind them to keep their focus on God. And I believe in P Peter's letter to the early church, we'll also find answers for ourselves of encouragement and how we can live triumphantly and keep our focus on the living hope, even in the midst of this current trial. So let's look at the text this morning. I'm going to read through verses 1 through, one through 9 and then come back and highlight a few points. This is what the Apostle Peter wrote. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you, are greatly, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So again, here we have the instruction of the Apostle Peter to the various churches, again, who are scattered about, looking for answers in the midst of all that's going on in their life. And so Peter wants them to remember a few things here in the midst of all this that's going on. Number one, he wants them to remember what God has done for them. If you look in verse one, at the very end of the verse, he calls the church, he says, you guys are chosen. He has chosen you. With this come many blessings. That means we are his as well, because we are chosen. God takes an interest in our life, and he is conforming us into the image of his son. He doesn't choose us and then ignore us. He doesn't tell us, to, hey, you go figure it out on your, on your own. You're all alone in this. No, if he's chosen us, he's going to be with us. Since we are his, he does all that he can, or he does all that he does in our lives for our best interest. Again, even though we might not understand it and we might not like it, we can rest assured that since we are chosen, that God is doing what is in our best interest. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He said this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. He wants the church to remember, God has chosen you. You are His. Not only that, if you look down at verse 3, the apostle Peter also reminds the church, you know what? Something that God has done, not only has He chosen you, but He's made you born again. If you look at verse 3 again, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of our Father, Lord Jesus, and our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. In the process of choosing us, he made us born again. He's given us a new life. Our spiritual life has been awakened. Uh, before we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now we are alive to God. And this was made possible, as you see in the rest of that verse, by the resurrection of Jesus. 
says, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we've talked about in the previous weeks, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It's the one event in the believer's life that everything rests upon. And we are born again because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we can rest assured and have comfort in God's promises because he raised Jesus from the dead. And that's what we need to focus on as we go through these trials in our life. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, he's also going to raise up us to newness of life. And all his promises are sure. We've been born again, it says also, to a living hope. That means we don't have all that God, God desires for us right now. There's something in the future that we're hoping for that we know that's going to come. There's something yet to come. It's something we don't have, but again, it's something that we look forward to. The life of the believer, this life that we're living now, this isn't all that we have. This isn't it. There's something so much more, and that's what the Apostle Peter is telling the church to focus on in the midst of these trials. For those that are without Christ, this is it. So when things go uh, awry in this world, they may lose hope. They don't know what to do. They're hoping that somebody will figure it out. But we know that there's more beyond our present world. Right? We who are in Christ, we're strangers in this land. There's something that we're looking forward to, something in our future that we are to eagerly seek for and wait. And this gives us the strength to go on. So the Apostle Peter is reminding the church, again, this is what God has done. He's chosen you. He's caused you to be born again, and he wants him also to look to the future, as I mentioned about this hope. Look at verse 4. He says, in speaking to the church, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. So there's something in the future that's in store for each and every believer, those who are chosen of God, those who are born again, we have an inheritance. And in order to obtain this inheritance, just like an inheritance in life, somebody has to die, right? If there's a, a last will and testament, those who are going to inherit this have to wait for that person to pass away. And it reminds us that Jesus Christ has passed away. Therefore, our inheritance is waiting for us once we are in eternal glory. And again, it all revolves around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection has made this hope a reality. Again, it's not something that we, you know, quote-unquote, hope that happens. It's an assurance. It's a guarantee. And that inheritance, as you know, is not here on this earth. It's something that we're looking forward to. And that's one of the great things about this inheritance. If you look at the description in chapter 4 of this inheritance... There's three things that the Apostle Peter describes. He says, number one, that it's imperishable. Meaning, whatever God has in store for us, it is never ending. It's not going to fade. It's not going to go away. An inheritance that we get to use on this earth will eventually run out. Not so with the inheritance that we have in heaven. Not only that, he says it is undefiled meaning it's not flawed or polluted like everything else in, those, in this world. Instead, it's something flawless. It's something perfect that you and I get to look forward to. 
And then finally, he says it will not fade away. He says it's, meaning, meaning, let me see, how do you describe it? It won't fade away. It means it's inexhaustible. It will never lose its significance. Again, inheritance that we get now, we may spend it all, if it's money, uh, if it's something of, that's not money, it's a, an item of some sort, it may lose its magnificence. It may lose its luster, but not so with what God has for us in the future. It's going to be inexhaustible, and it will never grow old. We'll never get tired of it, whatever it is. So again, that inheritance that we have in the future is never-ending. It's something perfect, and it's something that we could never get tired of, never get bored of. I know sometimes you may think about um, eternal life and like, well, what am I going to do for eternity? Will I ever get bored? Will I get tired of doing the same thing over and over again? I think this is a little glimpse into that. Whatever it is that we're going to do, whatever it is that we have in store for us, it will never lose its significance. It will never lose its luster. Just think of that unique, I think of the unique experience of a child on Christmas morning when they get their new toy and they just love it. You know, then after maybe like maybe half the day, then they're bored of it. But think of this, when we get what the Lord has for us reserved in heaven, we're going to be like that little child that never, that's so excited and never gets tired of whatever it is that the child is playing with. I think that's just a little glimpse into what is in store for us. Remember, God is doing something in the future for us. This world is not the end of all things. It's really just the beginning. The Apostle Peter goes on in verse 5 to give them not only to remember what God has done for them and what God is going to do, but what God is doing right now. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says about this inheritance, he said, or about the people that are going to receive the inheritance, he says, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what is he saying here? He wants them to remember what God is doing at this very moment. He says, God is protecting you. God has promised to ensure your salvation. Since God has chosen you for a living hope, since God has reserved for you an inheritance in heaven, God is going to make sure that you receive it. God's going to protect you along the way. You can, what this is saying is that you cannot lose your salvation. A lot of people worry that, hey, what if I, I fall away from the Lord? Um, what if I, you know, things get so, so bad in this world that I, that I run away from God? Well, if you're God's chosen... If you're born again, you cannot lose your salvation. He's already said it here in this text. I have this for you. It's reserved for you in heaven, and I'm going to make sure that you make it to the end. That's what uh, Philippians 1.6 says. The Apostle Paul is speaking about this. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, if, if God began this work in you, He's going to make sure that he works with you and perfects you until Christ comes back. He ensures that you're going to make it to the end. The trials of this life may knock you down. Uh, they may bump you around. But the child of God is always going to get back up and follow the Lord. And that's something we can be thankful for. Something we can have confidence in. And so, 
again, these three things. The Lord, through the Apostle Peter, wants the church to know that in the midst of trials, remember and focus on the things that God has done for you in the past, the thing that God has in store for you in the future, and what God is doing now. And as we move into the next section, Peter is now going to focus on the trials that they're going through and how to see these trials uh, with the backdrop again of all that God has done for you. If God has done all these things, what hope can you have in the midst of trials? Look at verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if by necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Peter wants the church to remember that the trials in this life are temporary. They're temporary. He says, he, he says again, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. Something we need to understand that trials are going to come in this life. Hard times are going to come. Things that we don't understand are going to come. Actually, the Scripture promises that we're going to suffer trials. But the great thing about them is that we're promised that they're going to end. They're only temporary. So we need to remember that the trials that we go through in this life are temporary. They're going to pass. And not only that, once they pass, we're promised that some more may come. Again, in verse 6, he says, distressed by various trials. Not just one trial, but various trials. So don't think the things that are going on in our world are strange or not supposed to happen even as a believer. No, they're promised that they're going to happen. What we're promised from Scripture is that they're temporary and that God is going to be with us through those trials. And we need to focus on Him and all that He's done. If He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then He can get us through anything that we're going through at this very moment. This trial will pass. And it will not last, whatever it is. Whether it is the current trial that we're suffering in right now in our country or something more personal to you or something in the future, you have the promise that they're temporary. These trials are temporary. Not only that, go on to verse 7 about this trial. He says, And that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is imperishable, even though tested by fire, may, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? He's saying, remember that God uses trials for good for the believer. Good's going to come out of this trial, he's saying. The trial that we're going through at this very moment can be looked upon as it's strengthening our faith. How so? How does this strengthen your faith? Well, how many of us have been praying a lot more often now that God would get us out of this trial? How many of us rely upon the Lord now because we don't have control about what's going on? God uses these trials sometimes to wake us up, to realize that we are not in control of things and that we need to focus on Him. And I really pray that that happens more, not only in our church, but in the culture in general, that we realize that we're not in control, that we need help from God, and that we cry out to Him. And this is just one example how a trial can prove your faith. I mean, even ask your own self, are you trusting God even more through this, during this time? Has it caused you to seek Him more, spend more time with Him? I hope so. 
Remember that God uses these trials for good, and one of them is to strengthen our faith. Not only that, remember that God will reward, reward us for enduring these trials through our life. We will be rewarded for enduring these trials in our life. In verses 7 through 9, that's what he's talking about. It's amazing to think about this. If you look at the very end of verse 7, and speaking of the believer, he says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter indicates that after we come through these trials, and when we stand before the Lord at the end of our life, we will receive praise and glory and honor from God himself. That's unimaginable for me to think of. Imagine God saying, I mean, God's praising you and honoring you and giving you glory, the one who we're supposed to praise and honor and give glory to you. But this is what Jesus alludes to in his parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 23. After Jesus, uh, in this parable, the master gives talents to his servants to do good with them. And at the very end, in, in uh, commending the good one, this is what Jesus says. And again, this is in reference to what God will say to his children when they stand before him. When they come through these trials, he says this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put, in charge, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. One day, each and every one of us as believers will stand before God and hear those very words because we've come through those trials. Well done, my good and faithful slave, or your translation, your translation may say servant. Imagine God looking at you, because this is going to happen, and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, even thinking of him saying that to me, I know I've fallen short. Like I'm like, whew, I just made it through. You're telling me, well done, good and faithful servant? That's God heaping praise on us. And this is, what, this is what Peter is saying. As you go through these trials and you come through, just think of one day when you stand before God, he's going to say, well done. And so knowing all these things, as, as Peter is encouraging the church, remembering all these things in your life as you go through trials, what do we do with them? What's our point of action? You know, is it just knowing these things and that's going to make all things better? And Well, that's half the battle. We also now have to move forward. We can't just sit there and, and, and think of these things all the time, although they're helpful. We need to, to go forward. And that's what Peter addresses in, in, your, in verses 13 through 16. So drop down in your Bibles a few verses. And here really is the application once you know all these things, he says, therefore, so therefore, because of all that he has just said, he says, therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which you which." were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter's command to the church is now that you know all these things about trials and about what God has done for you, what he's, 
has in store for you and what he's doing at this very moment and knowing that these trials will strengthen your faith, what do we do? Well, just these last four points of application. He says, number one, prepare for the battle of life. That's what verse 13 is telling you. Gird your minds for action. Gird was uh, a way of saying to like tighten up or strengthen yourself. Uh, in, in the first century, uh, the Roman soldier, when it was time to go to war, they would pull up their, their, their skirt. That's what they wore. I'm sure it was called something else. But they would pull it up and get ready for action and run out to the battlefield. You know, they didn't want to trip over it. So they would, you know, tighten their belt, so to speak, and move forward. And so that's what the Apostle Peter is giving the picture of here. He's like, gird up your mind, tighten up your, your mind for battle. Keep your minds focused on the things of God, not of the things of this world. Strengthen yourself. That's point number one. So prepare, your, prepare for the battle of this life. Know that this life is a struggle, as many of us experience on a day-to-day basis. We have to be ready for it. We have to take the offensive. And the second point is this. The second thing that he says in verse 13 Keep sober in spirit. That means keep a sharp spiritual mind. If you're thinking of uh, keeping sober, you know, he's saying don't become intoxicated with the things of this world. Be aware that when you become intoxicated by the things of this world, you become influenced by them. They begin to control you. They begin to take your mind off the things of God. We lose focus. I was, as I was preparing the message this week, I was thinking of the, uh, the movie Star Wars, A New Hope. It's the first one, but it's actually number four, for those of you that are Star Wars fans. And I remember as they, at the very end, as they're going into the Death Star, and they're going to shoot you know, the little target at the very end to blow up the Death Star. Um, I remember as, as Luke is going in for a battle, or usually anybody that went in for battle, and the... Uh, the bad guys, the empire, um, they were shooting at them and trying to distract them. And the one command that kept coming through was like, stay on target, stay on target. Don't let the things on the left of you, on the right side of you, lose your focus. And I think that's what the image I get here at First Peter is keep your mind sharp. Get ready for battle. Stay focused on the end game. Don't let the things on the outside throw you off. They're going to hit you. They're going to try to scare you, but stay focused. Stay on target. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2, sums up these two principles about preparing for battle and keeping a sharp mind. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's what he's saying. Stay sober. Get ready for battle. Stay focused. And on staying focused, what do you stay focused on? Look at verse 13 again. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stay focused on your future hope. How fixated are you in your life on the return of Christ. That's what he's talking about. The hope is going to be revealed at the return of Christ. How often do we as believers truly think about the return of Christ? 
And I'm not talking about, hey, let's study end times and see all the crazy things that are going to happen or not going to happen. But I'm talking about just wanting to be with the Lord. I venture to say we don't, including myself, don't always think about that very much. We live in a very blessed time. We probably can have access to almost anything that we like. And so we're not in any hurry, so to speak, to get to eternity, to spend times with the Lord. But how often have you thought about it now when you're going through hard times, when you're going through trials? And again, this kind of goes back to how trials are for our good. They get us to focus on the right thing. And that's what he's saying. Focus on the return of Christ. Focus on being with the Lord. No, again, stay on target. Remember your goal. That's the end game. That's where our inheritance is. It is not here on this earth. I mean, let us enjoy all that God has given us, but let us not hold on too tightly to it. Let's hold it with an open hand, knowing that these things can easily pass away. And the only thing that is sure that will not fade away is that inheritance that we have in heaven. Let us look to that as we go through these trials on a day-to-day basis. Finally, the last point that he gives us, the last encouragement, is to live obediently. In verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but be like the Holy One. Be holy. Again, if you're so fixated on this world and you hold this world too tightly, you begin to act like the world. He says, don't be conformed to those things that you've been chosen away from. You've been born again to a new life. Those are no longer the main focus. That's no longer the main focus of your life. No, your main focus now is to live as an obedient child to God. Be holy as God is holy. When we're obedient to the Lord, in the face of, of, of all these things that are going on and the persecution that are brought out, that's brought out from outside forces, our lives will testify to the truth of the gospel, will testify to how powerful God is and how great God is. We're supposed to be a witness through these things. How often has somebody asked you currently about what's, what do you think is going on? you had the opportunity to share with them about what maybe God might be doing. Maybe this is a time that God is using to wake us up, to wake up the church. I can't help but think of our past studies in the, in the book of Isaiah where God sent trials to the nation of Israel to wake them up because they weren't focused on Him. They were focused on everything else outside. And they were even seeking from help from outside forces. I pray that this would wake us all up and help us to focus on what's important and to remember who God is, what God has done, and what He is doing in this very moment for us. And remember that God can use these times to strengthen our faith and to help us to be a better witness for Him in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, as always, we are so thankful for Your Word because it speaks directly to our hearts. It speaks to exactly the things that are going on in our life today. And I pray, Lord God, that we as your people would hear the message loud and clear. That we would remember 
all that you have done for us, all that you have in store for us in the future, and what you are doing even in, the very, in this very moment in our world and in our lives. That we would remember, Lord God, that these trials, as they come, sometimes they're allowed into our lives to strengthen our faith. And I pray that our church, Lord God, would cling to you even more today than we ever have. That we would find comfort and solace in knowing you and knowing that one day you will return and bring with you a great inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Help us, Lord God, to prepare our minds for action. Help us to live soberly, to live obediently, and to look forward to your soon coming. And until that comes, Lord God, may we just uh, glorify you in all that we do. And we thank you for this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.